Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. So it was late in the year of 2000, I'm sorry, 1999. I know some of you weren't born back then, um, but uh, Jack and I had just been married a couple months into our, our marriage. Uh, it was probably, you know, November or so, and we got into a spat. And that happens as newlyweds, and honestly, I don't remember what we were arguing about. Uh, I'm sure my wife does. That's how it works, right, gentlemen? And uh, I got upset, and she was upset, and, I, you know, I was 22 years old, I think, at the time. She was 21, and we didn't know how to argue, didn't know how to fight or anything like that. So uh, I just, you know, resorted back to how I handled pressure or difficulty or anger when I was little, and I just threw a temper tantrum, and uh, I think I said some hurtful things. I walked out of the house, uh, pretty much slammed the door, and I left the apartment. Um, brilliant leadership, you know. And it was the only way I knew to kind of win the argument. So I went back, I, went, I was still a student at Liberty University, took off for campus, walked around campus for about an hour, uh, blew off some steam, went back to the apartment, and uh, when I got there, Jackie was just a mess. She was crying, she was so upset, and I'm like, I, mean, I know we got in a fight, but come on, you know, this is a little bit, little bit over the top, and I'm like, what's going on? And she said, you know, I thought that you left. Like, left, left. You know, like divorce left. And I was like, what? You know, and that's not the case. And I know I was upset, but that's not, you know, we just got into an argument and we worked it out. But man, that was, that was an interesting moment. That was 23 years ago. Today is our 23rd anniversary. Yeah. In fact, it's right in this spot right here or maybe I was standing here, I can't remember. Were you here, was I there? I was over here? Oh, I was here, okay. And she was there, and in this very spot, uh, 23 years ago today, we tied the knot. I remember she walked down this aisle and, and uh, still as beautiful uh, as, as that day uh, you are. So, um, and, and, and we have a great marriage. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we really like each other. In fact, last week was my birthday uh, on Friday, uh, what day was that? Uh, anyway, uh, the 11th, <laughs> and uh, she surprised me by picking me up from work. She told me to pack my bag. I said, where are we going? She said, I'm not telling you, and so she surprised me, picked me up from work. We went downtown. She uh, got a, a room on the 24th floor of the JW Marriott overlooking the whole city, and took me out to this wonderful dinner with some friends and uh, wined and dined me and kissed all over me. And you could tell, probably tell where that went. And it was just, uh, just a fantastic birthday present. And so blessed, such a cup filler. Um, I, you, know, I had, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 22, it says, he who finds a wife finds treasure and obtains favor from the Lord. I texted that to her this morning. And uh, I have found 
a treasure in my wife. We're really good friends. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we really enjoy each other. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that if I would have kept up some of that behavior that I demonstrated back in 1999, we would be standing here today, that I would be standing here today telling you that my wife really likes me, I really like her, and we cannot wait for our kids to go to college tomorrow? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, we got two leaving for school tomorrow, and that leaves us with one in the house. A year from now, we'll be in empty nesters. We're so excited. (laughs) Well, at least I am. She has mixed emotions. We love our kids, but the goal of parenting is to what? Launch them. Launch them. Fly, birdies, fly. And so you have to have a good marriage, and, and we do because, because here, here's, what, here's what we both did over the last 23 years. We both gotten a grip on some of the emotional problems, the issues, bad habits in our life. If I've not learned to get a grip on my temper, and if I would have kept saying hurtful things to my wife and slamming doors and walking out, and if that would have become a pattern in our marriage, do you think I'd be standing here today? Do you think I'd be your pastor today? Heck no, I can guarantee you I would not be your pastor today because our marriage would have split and we would have gotten divorced. If you're brand new with us today, I would like to just take a moment and welcome you to all of our locations. Welcome to Emmanuel. We talk about real life stuff. Can we give it up for all of our first time guests today? Whether you're watching online or one of our locations or microsites. If you're not brand new, welcome back. You're kind of used to the stuff. We get right into it. We talk about real life stuff, like stuff that matters. I mean, look at what the Bible has to say about it uh, because it's very, very important. We're in a series right now called Get a Grip. It's all about self-control. We defined self-control like this last week if you were here. We said self-control is the ability to, to do what you need to do even if part of you doesn't want to. Or on the other side of the coin, it's the ability not to do what's wrong even though part of you wants to. Right? Self-control is a massive issue, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32, it says this. Maybe you've never read this before. This is powerful. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Now, I love movies like Braveheart and William Wallace and dudes that, you know, conquer cities and could kill entire armies. I think it would be pretty awesome to be able to lead a military force and conquer a city, don't you? Like, paint your face and have a sword and kill everybody. Okay, maybe that's too much. But I think it'd be pretty awesome to be, to be able to conquer a city. And the Bible says, that, oh, it's actually better to conquer yourself than to have this, the, the ability to conquer a city. Why? We looked at this last week. Because a lack of self-control makes you vulnerable, vulnerable to all kinds of problems. If you cannot control your temper, if you cannot control your lust, if you cannot control your spending, if you cannot control your eating, if you cannot control your drinking, you're in for some serious pain. You could lose a marriage. You could lose a reputation. You could lose your influence for Christ. You can lose your influence with your children. You could lose your job. You could lose your freedom. I mentioned this last week. 2.3 million Americans are incarcerated right now. If you can't control yourself, someone else will control you. Yes or no? Self-control is a massive issue. Without it, you're like a city without walls. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. A person without self-control is like an, an entire city that lacks a defense. Back in those days, ancient Israel, the only defense a city had was its walls. 
your only defense against attack from the enemies on the outside and the inside is this thing called self-control. So I challenged you last week to surrender. The first biblical strategy to develop develop self-control was to surrender to the leadership of the Spirit. If you let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, right? That's what we talked about last week. If you missed that, go back and check it out. Today I want to talk to you about the second biblical strategy, but before we get into that, let me tell you a story about someone who really messed up in a big time way. This person in the Bible is known, has been known, still is known to be a man after God's own heart. Some of you know who I'm talking about. He's written chapters of the Bible. He was passionately in love with God. God trusted him with the nation of Israel to lead the nation of Israel. His name was David. But there was a couple of moments in his life where he lost total control of his appetites and desires. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, he wakes up from a nap one day. Well, I'll just read it to you. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got up from bed and he was walking on the roof of his palace and all of a sudden he looked out over the city and he noticed a naked woman. Wow. She was of unusual beauty and she was taking a bath. Now in that moment, ladies and gentlemen, what should he have done? He should have mustered all of his self-control and went back into the palace and did a whole bunch of king stuff. You know, like read documents and sign documents or whatever kings do. (laughs) And he didn't. He kept staring. He kept looking. And he kept lusting. He's already married. Plenty of wives. (laughs) Could have had all kinds of appropriate sex. But no, he had to have the forbidden fruit. So he has some of his guys go get her, brings her back to the palace. Her name is Bathsheba. He sleeps with her. He thinks it's all over, but turns out she gets pregnant. Now he's got to cover it up. One sin leads to another until he finally has to commit murder. And he kills Bathsheba's husband and then takes her as his own wife. God's watching the whole thing. See, there's nothing that you or I ever do that God is not watching. There's no such thing as a private moment. He sees the whole thing, and he is upset with David. So he sends Nathan in there, the prophet, to tell him what the business is, to give him that here's where things are at because of what you did. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is what we read. This is what Nathan says to David. Because you did all that stuff and tried to cover it up and killed Uriah... From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking your eyes wife to be your own. You've probably heard it said before. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. What did it cost David? Well, from that time on, his family spiraled out of control. They lost the baby. Later on, David's son Amnon Inflamed in his own lust for his sister, Tamar, David's daughter, rapes his sister. Absalom is enraged, David's other son. He commits murder two years later, kills Amnon. Later on, Absalom decides to try to take the kingdom from David. He ends up getting killed. Death and destruction. Why? Because one day, David was on the roof. He looked out, and he saw a naked woman. 
and he could not control his lust. How important is self-control? How much? Guys, talk to me. How much? It is the ball game. It is the ballgame. We've got to talk about how to generate and create self-control in our lives. Last week, we talked about how it starts with surrender. Today, I want to talk to you about how it's created and sustained by purpose. Self-control is created and sustained by purpose. Perhaps there's no other person in the Bible who demonstrated self-control more than Paul, the apostle. Maybe other than Jesus. Obviously, Jesus, right? He had, he had perfect self-control. But other than Jesus, no one seems to have more self-control or self-discipline than the, than the Apostle Paul. Think about the things that he accomplished. Planted dozens of churches. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. He was tortured. He was thrown in jail. He, was ship, he suffered shipwreck all, all the time. He was you know, making tents to earn a living, to pay for food. So he didn't have to take an offering from I mean, the guy was an absolute workhorse. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he gives us some insight into his psychology and what motivated him, drove him to be so self-disciplined and self-controlled. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run? Now, what he's referring to here is the, the, the marathon that was run in the Isthmian Games uh, back in those days. They were sort of like an Olympics, uh, very, very close to Corinth, the, the letter that he was writing uh, to uh, the, pe- the Christians at Corinth. And so all of his audience understood that, okay, he's talking about the Olympic Games, and he's comparing the Isthmian Games to the Christian life or the life of a, of a disciple, a person of faith. And he says, don't you know that all the runners in a race, uh, I'm sorry, all, don't you know that, all, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, to which his audience was like, yeah, of course, only one person gets the medal. And then Paul shifts to the audience and says, run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, your Walk of faith is like that of a marathon runner. And you have to run in such a way that they run. They run to win the medal, to the prize, the gold. Then he says this. Everyone who competes in the games, generally speaking, there was boxing, there was wrestling, there was marathoning, there were chariot races, there were other things going on. Everyone who competes in the games goes into, say it with me, strict training. In other words, your walk of faith is the same thing or similar to that of an Olympic athlete. You, if you want to win the prize, you have to engage in this thing called strict training. I did a little research on Michael Phelps, and some of you know who he is because he's the most decorated Olympic athlete of all time up to this point. He has 28 medals, the most of any Olympic athlete. The closest one to him is a Russian lady. She has 18 He has 10 more than her. 23 of those 28 medals are gold medals. Here's a picture of Michael. At 11 years old, he decided he wanted to be an Olympic athlete and win a gold medal and break records, and he did so. In fact, there was a five-year stretch where he won all those medals. During that five years, this is from his testimony, he was in the pool every single day for five to six hours for five years straight. He ate 12,000 calories a day during training. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Burgers, pizza, pancakes. He would eat a large pizza for dinner, just for dinner, a whole pizza. 
his coaches had his sleep dialed in, his diet dialed in, his workouts dialed in, his massages dialed in, his ice baths dialed in, his strength training dialed in for five years every single day. No wonder this guy broke all the records. Paul says, you want to be, you want to win the prize as a, as a Christ follower, as a disciple? You have to train like an Olympic athlete. You have to enter into strict training. And he says, everyone who does this, the, the, uh, the, the, the Olympic athletes, everyone who trains like this, they do it for a crown that won't last. In other words, you get a medal, but it's temporary. It's in this life. In fact, some of the uh, awards that they would get back then were wreaths of flowers, and the flowers would die and they would perish. But we do it, and he switches back to you and I or his audience in Corinth, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. What is he talking about? Is he talking about going to heaven when you die? No, we don't, we don't practice self-control and self-discipline so that we can go to heaven when we die. We're not saved by, by our own merits. We're saved by grace through faith. What is he talking about then? What, what kind of prize will we receive, people of faith, that will last forever? He's talking about rewards for faithful service. The character that you develop in your heart. The things that you and God achieve together on this planet before you die. You will receive rewards for that or there will be a lack of rewards. Paul says, we have our eye on this prize. Eternal blessings, rewards that will last forever. Therefore, Paul says, I don't run like someone running aimlessly or someone boxing, you know, swing at the, at the air. Basically what he's saying there is, I don't train haphazardly. I don't go through this life as a Christian haphazardly. Man, maybe I'll read my Bible. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. If I have time. If I have time. If, no, no, no. He doesn't train haphazardly. He's extraordinarily focused. And listen to this next statement. No, he says, I don't do that. Instead, I strike a blow to my body and make it my, say it with me, my slave. What is he talking about? This phrase, blow to my body, is actually a Greek phrase that, says, that, that means to give a black eye. The title of my talk today, by the way, is Knock Yourself Out, <laughs> which I think is an appropriate title. What Paul is saying is, I punch myself in the face. I strike a blow to my body. And what he's really saying there is, I discipline myself and I bring my unruly desires, whether they be uh, a temper or, or a desire for material possessions or, 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 or for, the, for a sexual desire of some sort that's inappropriate. I bring all of those desires under the control of my spirit. And my spirit tells my body to get in line. And you may not have that. You may not touch that. Can you imagine if David would have practiced that kind of self-control on the rooftop that day? How different things would have turned out for him. He says, I, I beat my body. I give myself a black eye. And I make my body my slave. Why would he do this? Why, why not just be like Americans today? I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Don't tell me I can't have that. Eat that. Touch that. Look at that. I'm an American. Hashtag America. I'm free. You are free. But you're not free from the consequences of your freedom. Paul says, I discipline myself and bring my body under subjection to my soul. Why would he do that? Watch this. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the, say it with me, the 
Paul had his eye on the prize. What was the prize? The prize was the eternal rewards for faithful service. Paul knew that one slip up when it comes to lust or or power or abusing his power or or greed or anger, one slip up when it comes to self-control could cost him dearly in the afterlife. He would go on to say in another book that he wrote to his young protege, Timothy, some powerful words. Maybe you've heard them before. He said, Timothy, I'm about to die. I'm about to go on to the next life. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. He liked to compare the Christian life to a marathon. I've kept the faith. Now watch this. Now, as I'm about to pass over into the next life, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, the prize, the medal, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day when I die. And then he says this to you and I. And not only to me, but also all who long to see his appearing. See, that's for all of us. How do we create self-control? We create self-control with purpose. We we create self-control with a prize, with a medal that we're shooting for. Michael Phelps had an idea in his mind when he was 11 years old. I want to win a gold medal. Therefore, his self-control and self-discipline was impeccable. All through middle school, he tells it in his own words. Middle school and high school, he would go to bed, his friends would go out, he'd go to sleep. There'd be a party, he wouldn't go to the party, he'd go to sleep because he'd have practice the next day. There'd be some event going on at six o'clock, he would show up late because he was at practice. By his own testimony. You can look it up. He never missed practice. Why? Because he had his eye on the prize. That was his purpose. Now, some of you might, that might be good enough for some of you today. Like, man, okay, that was a good sermon, you know. Pray and we'll be out of here, we're done. I'm motivated, I'm excited. Eternal rewards, great, great, great. I'm gonna bring self-control into my life and I won't do what David did. Awesome, let's, 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 let's adjourn. But here's why I can't do that just yet. Because I understand that it's hard for human beings to think about life after uh, death. It really is. Like, there's so many unknowns. Like, really, eternal rewards? Like, what does that really look like? Is, like, what's heaven gonna be like? Not really sure. It's not really motivating. So you're telling me that I should have self-control in my life right now because of the eternal rewards that God's gonna bless me with when I die. Okay, that's good, I believe that, but it's hard to get our brains wrapped around that. Humans struggle to picture the future. Now, it might not be hard for you, and and if it's not, praise the Lord, and that was a blessing to you, and it's gonna produce self-control in your life. But let's talk to what I think would be 80% of us. 80% 80% of us be like, uh, that really didn't, it's not going to do it for me. Well, the principle still holds true if we apply it just to this life here and now. Let me, what, what, principle am I, um, what principle am I talking about? I'm talking about the principle that purpose or the prize, having a clear prize in front of you, produces or generates or creates self-control. Let me give you an example. Um, one of the purposes of my life, uh, the prizes of my life, is to have a great marriage. I want to have a sweet marriage. I want to have, uh, I don't want to just be married. I want to be excited to go home. I, when I walk through the door, I want my wife to be excited to see me. I want to I wanna be, be with her, not just, uh, you know, intimately, but in a friendship way. Like, just hang around, hang out, and be together. Um, which is why we had our kids young, by the way. See how that works? Have your kids young so that they can go to college and then you have your wife. You, you, you know, you have the rest of your life with your wife. Anyway, um, 
That's one of the prizes. So if that's one of the prizes of my life, one of the goals of my life is to, is to, is to, to, to do life with my, with my wife, then what kind of self-control am I going to have to put into my life in order to make sure I can attain that prize? Well, there's going to have to be faithfulness. There's going to have to be, you know, I only have eyes for her, no wandering eyes, no lust in my heart for anyone else. There's going to have to be encouragement, honoring, service, helpfulness. I'm going to have to be interested. I'm going to have to listen. There's a lot of self-control issues there that, are, that I'm putting into practice. Why? Because I have my eye on the prize. Making sense? The prize generates and sustains self-control. Let me give you another example. I want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. I want to hear his voice. I want him to be pleased with my life. I want to be uh, one with him in spirit. I want to think like him. I want him to be, look down on me and be pleased with me. And, and, that, and, and I want to experience the joy and the peace of conscience that comes from that. And so that's a prize. That's a medal. That's a, that's a thing I'm shooting for. That's a purpose. Well, if that's what I want, which I really, really do want, what kind of self-control and self-discipline do I need in my life to achieve that prize? Well, there's going to be prayer and, and, and Bible study and meditation and journaling and confession of my sin and living life in the community with other believers and, and all of these different things. I'm, you see how that works? Because of the prize, there's self-control. Because of the metal that's out in front of me, there's self-discipline. Let me give you another one. Um, uh, finances. I don't want financial stress. I hate it. Uh, number one cause of divorce today is still money issues. I, I want to have this thing called financial peace. In fact, there's a course called financial peace, right? We have it here at the church. Jack and I went through it twice because the first time it didn't stick. <laughs> we want to have financial peace. In other words, we want to have no stress when it comes to money. We want to have more than enough. We want to be generous and give money away. We want to bless people. We want to help our kids to go to college. We want to do all these different things. Okay, well, that's great. If that's the prize, financial peace, then what kind of self-control are we going to need to put in place right now? We're going to stick to a budget. We're going to invest properly. We're going to do these different things. And we're going to live on less than we make. And all these, guess what? We've done that for for 20 years. We have an, we've had incredible, not perfect, self-control over a long period of time. Why? Because we had our eye on the prize. Making sense? It's the purpose that generates and creates self-control. I'll, I'll give you one more. I, I, I want to be physically fit. I want to I I be healthy. I want to feel good. I don't want to feel bad. I want to wake up. I want to have energy. I want to be excited about life. And, and, uh, and, and I want to I I look good for mama. I mean, that's just the truth. <laughs> So, and, and I, don't, I don't want her to look at me and go, I, you let yourself go, but I just, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want her to look at me like, mm-hmm. So if that's what I want, which it is, I want to feel good, I want to be attractive to my, to, to my spouse, then what kind of self-control am I going to put in place here to, to be able to achieve that? Well, there's going to be an exercise routine. There's going to be, I'm going to watch my diet. I'm going to try to get my proper rest. I'm going to try to drink proper fluids, all that. So I have those disciplines in my life because why? Because of the prize. Making sense, yes or no? Talk to me. Am I crazy? So, so. When someone comes to me and says, oh, Pastor Danny, I wish I could have self-control like you, self-discipline, you're, so dis you're so disciplined, blah, blah. Say, hogwash. Hogwash. Can I just be, have an honest moment with you? I think, it's, I think that's an excuse. I'm just not a person of self-control. I lack self. Hogwash. Hogwash. Because I don't have self-control. I just have purpose. That's all I have. 
They say, oh, you're so disciplined. No, I don't. No, I'm not. I just have purpose. I have clarity of purpose. I know what I want. And if I'm going to get that prize, if I'm going to get that medal, if I'm going to achieve that purpose in my life, then these things are necessary steps to achieve that. It's not, this isn't about self-control. This is about purpose. Making sense? So how do you find your purpose? That's a great question. That's, I mean, that's, there's volumes of books written on that, and there's endless material on that in the, on the internet. And I mean, this is the human situation where we want to know what meaning is. We want to know how to find purpose in our lives. I'm going to give you four questions, four questions to help you work, work this through. This is sort of your homework to, to try to find your purpose. Because if you have purpose, self-control will take care of yourself. Like Michael Phelps wanted to win a gold, so his, his workout routine and discipline for years, that was not a problem because of the the prize that he had out in front of him. So ask yourself these questions to try to find your purpose. Number one, what do you love? What do you love? What are you passionate about? What do you love to do? That's a clue to what your purpose will be. I absolutely love to help people find Jesus. I love it. It never gets old. It's the passion of my life. When someone is introduced to Jesus, it thrills my heart. I get filled with joy. I love it, which is why I'm a pastor. <laughs> How's that? Isn't that incredible how that works? What do you love? Well, that's probably going to be the thing that you end up you know, doing. Maybe not for a full-time job, but some, some aspect of your life. Another one, what breaks your heart? Like, what just, oh, man, I hate to see that. You know, there's kids out there that don't have parents, and you know, this is happening, and there's abuse going on. It breaks my heart. You know, and what breaks your heart? That's a clue to what your purpose might be. Because here's what's true. What's breaking your heart is probably breaking the heart of God. And that's why it's breaking your heart, because he's inviting you into that to be part of the solution. What's breaking your heart? You know what breaks my heart? People going through this life without Jesus breaks my heart. It's like totally unnecessary. There's wisdom and joy and peace and contentment available in Christ. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He's right there. He says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden in labor, and I'll give you rest. And people are going through this life without Jesus. It breaks my heart. You know what breaks my heart even more? When people die without Jesus. And they spend eternity separated from God. It's like, oh my gosh. Breaks my heart. Don't go into eternity without Jesus. So guess what? Breaks my heart. That's what I do for a living. I help people find Jesus. I help them so, so that they don't have to spend eternity apart from God. Is this making sense? What do you love? What breaks your heart? Number two, what are you really good at? Like, man, you kill it at that thing. The question doesn't say, what do you think you're really good at? Very, very important distinction. Okay, you ever seen American Idol? <laughs> Humans have an incredible capacity to deceive themselves and live in an alternate universe. Don't do that. Find out what you're really good at. Don't ask your mother. <laughs> ask an honest friend. Ask your enemies, okay? What am I really at? They will give you the truth. What are you really good at? Sometimes, sometimes some guys will come to us and say, man, I feel called to be a pastor. And my first question is, okay, can you talk in front of people? Well, I don't really know. Well, you should figure that out. Because if you can't talk in front of people, you may not be called. But I feel called. Well, usually your skill set and your calling match up, right? Because what you're really good at is an indicator of what your purpose should be. Yes or no? Making sense? What are you really good at? Number four, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, this is an issue of legacy. There's a 100% chance you're going to die. 100% chance. 
and they'll talk about you. They're going to remember you. Your kids are going to remember. The grandkids will remember you. They'll talk about grandma. They'll talk about grandpa. Here's what he was like. Here's what she was like. You don't want them to say this. Grandma was really good at selfies. I'm telling you, she could kill it with a filter. <laughs> Come on. We're wasting time taking pictures of our face. What are you doing with your life? How do you want to be remembered? Right? That really clarifies things. Picture, picture your own funeral and people are getting up on stage and they're talking about what they remember about you. What are they saying? She had a lot of purses. Man, you should see her lineup. Dad's shoe game was on point. Man, he's got, he's got his shoe game was awesome. Is that what you want them to say at your funeral? Like my funeral will, pro will probably most likely be in this, in this room. It's just probably going to happen that way. I'm giving a lot of my life to Emmanuel Church. Somebody's going to talk right here. And my, my dead body's probably going to be right there. It's kind of morbid to think about, but it's going to be probably right there. I got married here. I'll probably get buried right here. What are you going to say? Here's what I hope they'll say. Man, Dad, this person of integrity, he really tried hard to love my mom. He really loved to help people find Jesus. He was generous, he was kind. He loved God. He loved the Bible. Think about that stuff. That stuff's in my head. That drives me towards my purpose. How do you want to be remembered? And then lastly, this is kind of a filter to filter the other four questions. What does God say about it? You got answers to those four questions, but then what does God's word say? God will never lead you to a purpose that contradicts his word. I promise you, he will never lead you to do something illegal or do something contrary to this book. It will never happen. You're being led by somebody else at that point, but not the Holy Spirit. What does God's word, what does God say about it? Mark Twain's got a great quote. He said, the two most important days of your life, the day you were born and the day that you find out why. Right in the heart. Why? Because once you figure out your purpose, once you figure out why you were put on this earth, life takes off. I mean, you, life gets simple. Like all the things that you know you shouldn't be doing, you stop doing because it's not going to get you towards your purpose. And all the things that you know you need to be doing, you start doing because it's going to get you towards your purpose. You become a Michael Phelps. Life is easy. It's simple. You're in the pool every day. Training, disciplining. You got your diet dialed in. You got your workouts dialed in. Why? Because you have your eye on the prize. Make sense? Yes or no? This is life-changing stuff. This isn't a sermon. It is not a talk. This is not, this is not church because church is because it's Sunday. This is like, this is the way we're supposed to live our lives. It's the way God created you. So I have a question for you. You know, I always have a question for you. And I wanted the question to be, so will you knock yourself out? Will you beat your body up and make it your slave to your spirit? I wanted to ask that question, but it's, it's, it's an unnecessary question because once you know your purpose, you'll do it. So my question is this, what's your purpose? Get that dialed in. 
and the self-discipline that you need in the classroom or the self-discipline you need in the diet or the self-discipline you need to quit smoking or the self-discipline you need to quit gambling or the self-discipline you need to quit looking at porn or the self-discipline you need, whatever. That, that all starts to fall into place. Like that becomes, that's generated and created by your goal, your purpose, the metal that's out in front of you that you're trying to achieve. Make sense, yes or no? This is life-changing stuff. What is your purpose? As we wrap up today, uh, we had staff meeting this week, uh, which is a pretty large meeting. We have like over 70 staff members now, and we actually have it in this room. And I was sharing with them on Monday, um, we've got a fantastic staff. In fact, can we just give it up for our staff right now, all across all of our campuses? Love you guys. A lot of you don't know who they are because they're spread out over five campuses, six campuses. Uh, but they're great. And so we're in this room, we were talking, and I was sharing some things that God laid on my heart when I was on my study break through July. And, and I was talking to them about King Hezekiah. It's just one of the kings from the Old Testament. And uh, if you've ever read through First Kings, Second Chronicles, all that stuff, it's the story of all the kings. And Hezekiah was one of the kings that did what was pleasing in God's sight. In fact, it says there was no other king like him for the nation of Israel, which is something else, because David was one of the kings. And so he was kind of in, his, in a league of his own. And it says that when he took over the title of king when he was 25, the first thing he did in the first month of the first year of his rule was to rededicate the temple. The temple was out of order. The king before him was worshiping false gods and it was just all out of order. And so what did he do? He prioritized the worship of God. First things first, we gotta get back in right relationship with God. Then he cleaned out the temple from all of the false gods and the idols and all the trash that was inside of the temple. In a lot of ways, that's metaphor, a great metaphor for us because we are the temple of God and we need to rid the idols of our heart. And so he's prioritizing God. He's repenting of the nation's sin and his personal sin. And then the third thing he did was he wrote a letter and it actually says in 2 Chronicles that he wrote a, a letter inviting the entire nation of Israel to come to the temple to prioritize the worship of God, to be, to be reconnected with God, to be in right fellowship with God. And they offered sacrifices back then. They sacrificed animals. Jesus is obviously the, the fulfillment of that. And everyone came to the temple and his heart was for the entire nation, not just himself. And I thought to myself, oh man, that's, that's the perfect way to live. To, that's the perfect way to lead our church, to prioritize worship of God, to, to rid our hearts of idols, and to invite everyone in our community, anyone who will listen, into a proper relationship with God offered to us by Jesus Christ. And so I wanna invite you. In the same way that Hezekiah wrote a letter of invitation to the entire nation, I'd, I'd like to take this moment, moment and on God's behalf, invite you into a relationship with Jesus. A, a few moments ago, I mentioned that it breaks my heart to see people go through this life without Christ. And it breaks my heart even more to see people go into eternity without Christ. It doesn't have to be that way. The purpose of my life is to help avoid that, to help you avoid that. Jesus right now is calling you to himself and he sends out the invitation to you. He says, come, I love you. In fact, I proved it by dying on the cross for you. 
In fact, one time Jesus said, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends, and then he did it. Jesus laid his life down for you. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin, so you didn't have to. He canceled the debt held against you. And then he says, come, receive forgiveness. Step into grace, step into love. Will you do that today? I hope you will. I'm gonna say a prayer, it's a prayer of faith. Take these words, turn it into your own prayer to God and receive Jesus' forgiveness today, eternal life in abundant life. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Just say this to him, dear Jesus, I receive your love today. I believe you died on that cross for me. And you're inviting me in. I open my heart to you. I receive your love. I turn from my sin towards you. Cleanse my heart. Forgive me, wash me, make me your child. Put my trust in you, my hope in you. I place my eyes on you as the prize. I ask you to be my savior. And from this day forward, give me the wisdom to labor for those eternal rewards that crown of righteousness that Paul spoke about. Help me to keep my eye on the prize. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, our church wants to celebrate with you. All, all of our campuses, will you celebrate with me? Amen. When I, when I prayed that prayer, someone was kind enough to put a Bible in my hands and help me to uh, start reading. And so we wanna do that as a church. Inside this box, there is a Bible with a reading plan. There's some information about baptism, small group. And there's also a, a gift in here for, from us to you, a little coffee mug to say congratulations. If you would text the word SAVE to 65248, you can grab one of these at your location at the information desk outside in the lobby. And if you're watching online, you could just uh, give us a little bit more information. We'll send one to you in the mail. Can we give God glory one more time, church? Amen. Here's what I'm going to tell you today. Go home and knock yourself out. No, actually, don't do that. Go home and discover your purpose. Your purpose generates and creates and sustains the self-control that you need in your life. Is this a blessing to you today? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and uh, we just thank you for the word of God that we can open it and we can receive instruction. We can hear the words that tell us that it's more powerful to have self-control than it is to take a city. That without self-control, we're like a city without a defense, without walls. God, that we need to bring our desires and our appetites under the control of our spirit so that we will not disqualify ourselves from the prize. Give us wisdom to take these words and put them into practice so that we can live the life that you created us to live. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right now I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams. I love you guys, we'll see you next week.